Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church dear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. Blake, if you could have started one company in the whole world, what would it be? Probably a poison ivy pharmaceutical company. Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. I'm your host, Blake Hodges, and I've never started a company because I don't have the guts. And I'm here with someone who is seriously one of the gutsiest people I know, and I'm also watching his guts come out of him in lifetime, my co-host, Toby Walters. So I feel like our audience needs a little context nope, around no that. No, context. Just Toby's guts are coming out. I made the mistake of, at some point recently, and I don't even remember doing this, walking through my backyard somewhere and getting poison ivy all over my feet. It is horrific. It is the worst poison ivy I've ever seen in my life. It definitely looks like I like, went traipsing through a volcano with flip-flops on. It's gnarly. I think a volcano would have been worse because it would have melted your foot off, whereas this is just like ripping your foot off. Yeah. I, I feel bad for Toby. I've never felt this bad for him. And so uh, we're doing something a little bit different today, right, Blake? Yeah, we're going to give all the secrets and dirty deets of Church Gear's history. And we have David or Dave Rodiger with us to, to to comment along as well. What's up, y'all? Dave, are you scared of Toby's feet right now? All right. We had coffee this morning at a place called <gasps> Frothy Monkey. Did you give him this? <laughs> Dave! <laughs> we had coffee this morning, Frothy Monkey. I would you call it now. And I'm thinking this is probably like a blister or two. He pulls out his feet and it looked like he had third degree burns. Freaked me out. I almost ran away. I want to post this so bad. Post it. You're no, not Drew, bother will, me. Drew will heckle me forever. Oh my gosh. So I was, uh, I grew up in a place where poison ivy wasn't really a thing. I mean, I knew of it from hearing about it, but I was born and raised in the suburbs of San Diego where we... Uh, we had really just heat waves. It was dry desert climate. They um, killed everything. Yeah, exactly. So nothing lived. And it's. I did not grow up in the nice parts of San Diego. It was kind of the, the lower end suburbs. Didn't you have a meth lab next to your house? Yes, I did. We. Do you mind me saying that? No. Um, at, we did have a meth lab at the house next door to us. And at one point, the cops showed up, raided the place. And then they, wearing the hazmat suits, came in and dismantled the whole thing. So if you've ever wondered what's wrong with Toby, I mean, he yeah. just had that meth at a young age. <laughs> it was, you know, I grew up next to Breaking Bad. It was no big deal. <laughs> so my one claim to fame is that the uh, hospital I was born in, Michael Jackson's, one of his sons, I don't know if he has more than one, was born there as well. He doesn't so, know either. I, yeah. So uh, growing up, I don't know about you guys, but for me, my first love was skateboarding. That was huge in Southern California in the yeah. 80s and 90s. So I love that. And then uh, baseball and baseball cards. Dave, do you mm -hmm. ever collect baseball cards? I did actually for a minute and never did anything with them. And my dad just threw them away one day. And But it was like I had a lot of them. I actually – the reason why I smiled was because when you said skateboarding – I I was a skater oh, yeah. in junior high. Yep. And I got a pretty good little scar 
right here on the corner of my lip about a time I was trying to practice some moves in my downstairs uh, living room. Mm -hmm. And the cat got in between me and my skateboard as I was in the air. And to avoid hitting the cat, I tried to maneuver away from killing my cat and hit the hit the tail flip of the skateboard and shoved it right into my face. Oh. And this tooth went right through my mouth. And so, Fun. yeah. I, I I'm staying really, away from you too. Y'all are just I haven't really attacked. skateboarded since then. Blake, have you ever been on a skateboard? Uh, I don't know that you could really call it that. I have like stood on one, but you know. I figure you have no balance whatsoever to hold on to a skateboard, even though you're this black belt hang on now or whatever yeah. i have perfect balance on my feet like better than anyone i know but yeah on a skateboard i'm trash so what uh you know skateboarding wasn't didn't really pan out as a career for me baseball shockingly didn't pan out as a career although oh, were we uh, already into the career potentials those oh were those gosh. were real thoughts i mean every, so many kids dream of being something when they're young and then it rarely pans out. I was wondering how this was going to connect to like the poison ivy feet still. It doesn't. We're totally okay. <laughs> beyond the poison ivy feet. Don't be oh got poison ivy. We razzed him. Now we're looking at his potential career. Oh, great. That's right. So my dad was a music director at church growing up. And so I was in church, you know, from day one, essentially. And when I got to age 13, he asked if I wanted to run the sound system. And that seemed interesting to me. My baseball career was not advancing the way I had hoped. So uh, I got that opportunity to run sound when I was 13. And like there was just this instant click for me with gear. It wasn't even necessarily the, the activity of running the sound system. It was the gear itself. There was just something magical about it to me. And so it, it really just clicked with me. Dave, was it more of a was it a gear thing for you or was it more the, the activity of the production? And it was, it was really all about the activity and the production for me. Like, so I, I got started as a musician and I, I got into the whole production thing later in life in my early twenties, uh, well, 2021 to be specific. And so I was a musician from like fourth grade all the way up until then. And honestly, production at the time was just an ability to get me connected with more musicians so I could play music more. Like I didn't want to be a production guy, but I loved concerts. Mm -hmm. And then I just started getting really good at it and fell in love with that. And now I, you know, I look like every other production guy that's out there and I do that. So just sexy as all get up. You know it. Yep. Are y'all going to ask me when I got into production? When are you going to get into production, uh, Blake? I, around the same time as you, was doing studio production. Uh, Jeremy was recording his first couple songs, and I'm not going <laughs> to lie. They were some bangers. They were good. And I was responsible for sitting at the desk and hitting the record button and watching the levels so they didn't break. That meant when they turned red, they were breaking. <laughs> so This is so technical. I hit yeah. start and stop in the home studio. We're very yeah. proud of you, Blake. Yeah, just trying to get some points here. Yeah. And... uh I think it was a few years later, I was maybe 16 at the time, my dad came to me with the idea of, well, what do you think about starting a recording studio in the church basement? And Blake to, you know, press record and stop and make sure the levels didn't break sounded super exciting to me. I had done just a couple little demo things for a band in our church, and I just absolutely loved the idea. So we somehow convinced the pastor to give us a tiny little budget, a very small church, maybe 200 people on the biggest Sunday, like on Easter. And so for the pastor to actually help fund a recording studio in the church basement was like unheard of. So he opened up $1,500 and we're talking 1996 or That's so. Like 
$55,000 now. <laughs> well, the the other caveat is that back then, recording gear was like today's dollars, but back then, mm-hmm. you know, mixers and multi-track recorders could be tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. There wasn't DAW computer recording where anybody can, you know, have GarageBand on their laptop and just build a production. Um, so you had to have real equipment that was very expensive. So Dave, did you ever work on reel to reel decks? I did. So when I was in high school, I started volunteering for this or interning at this local recording studio in Anchorage, Alaska called surreal studios. And I, I lasted a little bit, and then I went and took a job on the railroad because it paid me money. Um, but <laughs> this is Alaska for you, folks. Hey, hundred percent. So uh, there was a, a two inch uh, and a half inch, I believe, tape reel to reel there, and I got into it just for fun. But by then, he was already using Pro Tools as well, yeah. so he wasn't really relying on it. So, so we found uh, what we thought was a good deal at the time, and I think it really was. We found a sixteen track one inch. Tascam reel-to-reel deck, mm-hmm. and we bought it for $1,500, and then we just, we'd use the Mackie 32-4 desk at, you know, in the sanctuary, so every Sunday I'd unplug the snake, carry the board down to the basement, plug it in the studio, and so we had a 16-track studio set up. I brought my home speaker studio, or uh, home speakers to the studio to mm-hmm. be our monitors, or pioneer three-way home stereo speakers, Yes, and we had a handful of 57s and 58s. Um, that were, you know, part of the worship set that we just take down there. And we started, we started advertising, uh, in the classified section of the newspaper. We called it the church recording studio. You know, okay. it was a very creative name. And it was, I mean, that was my first company. That was my first business was that recording studio. And we charged $12 an hour. And if that sounds like, wow, that's not very much for a recording studio, no, it wasn't. Was Were y'all paying the church back for the $1,500 at this point? Because now it's a, a business venture. Well, essentially, we agreed with the pastor that all of the funds that we earned would go back into the studio to continue building up the gear. Gotcha. So, I mean, realistically, I was spending all this time for free, but building up this gear because I just loved doing it. It yeah. was, you know, I was having the time of my life producing bands in the studio. And we had dozens and dozens of Christian bands come in and record, you know, a song or two or even whole records and just slowly but surely building up the gear. And I remember, you know, one birthday, I had some money and we had some money in the studio fund and we bought a Audio Technica 4050 as our large condenser mic for vocals and acoustic guitar. So uh, this was like my dream come true. I was 17, 18 years old. Producing uh, Chris Tomlin and exactly. say, how many how many hits by then have you produced? Like Grammys won. I know. All I, I can't guy. even yeah. count how many Grammys were started in this church basement studio. <laughs> Columbia Records is pounding on your door. That's right. Yeah. And around this time, there was a <clears throat> another guy who started coming to the church, and he had been in bands. He had toured. He had worked in major studios, and he just loved what we were doing with that studio. And so he got involved with me in helping build it up. And it was kind of like my first mentor relationship where he taught me so much about recording technique and gear and what you could do. What's the age discrepancy here? He was probably 15 years older than me. Um, So he had like literally been out on the road in a Christian metal band for many years, had toured with them and had worked in major studios in San Diego and LA. So he had a lot more experience. Um, 
But, you know, he was older, he was married, he had a full-time job, so he could only devote a certain amount of time to it. But it was really kind of like we built this partnership um, that was building the studio. And after a while, let's say a year after he started kind of partnering with me in that, he came to me and said, what do you think about taking this thing more legit? I'd take out a loan and we could invest in some better gear. We can move it out into a real location and just like make a go of it. So at 18 or 19 years old at this point, I'm like, man, I'm going to live my dream of doing this thing. So, you know, as, as you're young and ideas come to you, it's always good to have older, wiser people speak wisdom into the things you're thinking about. Yes. So I went to my dad and told him about this and he had some trepidations. You know, he said, well, if your partner's taking out a loan, and then how's that going to work with ownership? And do you think maybe that you should just keep building the church studio here since it's all kind of already funded and you have a lot of business coming in already and there's no rush to get it out of the church or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Um, we even met with a business mentor. And this is a lot of my story is just wise mentor speaking in. And he just, he basically told us, look, you guys don't have a business plan. You don't have any clients ready to spend a lot more money at this, you know, fully professional studio said, I suggest you start with those things, you know, write a business plan, have a plan for how you're going to pay back the, the loan that you take out. So me and my partner kind of after this meeting, put our heads together and said, you know what? Like, I think it's best that we just press pause on this. And it wasn't but a week later that I was talking to one of the bands that we had worked with for a while And they said, oh, yeah, I I hear we're moving over to your partner's house. And I was like, no, I think maybe you misunderstood because we were going to do that. But now we pivoted. And he said, oh, I just well, I just talked to your partner like a couple days ago. And he said, it's all set. And so I call up the guy and say, hey, what's what's this they say about the studio moving over to your house? And he said, yeah, you know, I just prayed about it. And God told me that I need to move forward with this with or without you, Toby. And I've taken out a $20,000 line of credit from my house and already went to Guitar Center and bought a bunch of gear and it's, it's going. You can still come, Toby, if you want, but I'm going. And so I was kind of in this like, I was shocked, first of all, that he just yeah. didn't even tell me that he was going to jump ship and start this thing without me. And uh, I agreed and... I said, well, I'll go over with you. I'll bring all the church gear that the church still owns with essentially the agreement that if it doesn't work out, we'll kind of dissolve our partnership, shake hands, go our separate ways, and I'll take all the gear back to the church and just keep doing the church studio. Yeah. So I'd have that to fall back on and talk to my dad. And he said, yeah, that sounds like a you know reasonable idea. So like all is not lost in the end. Totally. So we started the studio together at his house and from day one, it was like, it was rough going. It was, it was his studio at that point. It was in his house. He had invested the money and it was like, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was, it was a rough time for a few months. Like this dream of mine was now just being completely taken over by my partner. And I felt like, you know, control was just being ripped from my hands day in and day out. So I kind of got to the point a few months in where I just said to myself, okay, I'm ready to just call this and take everything back to the church. And 
that Sunday, a few days later, I show up at church and I think I was playing bass that morning. And as I walk in, I see there are new stage monitors on the stage and why we had new floor monitors on the stage. I had no idea because I would have known if the tech department or the worship department bought them because my dad and I oversaw the worship and tech department. And I asked one of the other band members, I said, where did these new monitors come from? And they said, Oh, uh, your partner bought them for the church. I was like, really? That that's a nice gift. That must've, must've cost a couple thousand dollars. And they're like, yeah, I think, I think he said something about trading them for all the church's recording equipment. Oh, uh-huh. so I uh, <clears throat> approached him and it was kind of one of those moments where, you know, you know, something really bad's about to happen, Yeah. but you're just hoping that it's not true. And so I, I said, did, did you trade these monitors for the church recording equipment? And he just kind of said, yeah, you know, I talked to the pastor and made him a deal and yeah, the church sold me all that gear. And I went to the pastor and I said, well, first I went to my dad who was still the music director. Yeah. And my dad's like, what? He didn't know anything about it. Yeah. <clears throat> so go to the pastor and the pastor just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, oh yeah, we didn't need that gear anymore. It's not your gear to begin with. So we made a deal with him and sold it. And I got to tell you, like, that was one of those just crucial defining moments in my life. Oh, man. Of, that was my first business venture, and that's how it ended up. And that's how I, and a lot of our listeners who have been in church ministry, know how abusive churches can be without even realizing they're being abusive. Yeah. So that is so crucial in my story of why church gear exists mm-hmm. and the mission that we have to serve church techs and be an advocate for them because I was left just, you know, standing without a dance partner and totally screwed over by the people I trusted and my pastor. No dance partner, no shoes. No. Goodness. I had no idea this had ever happened, Toby. Goodness. Dad, I know. But but here we are saying we're talking about this equipment and the words coming out of your mouth is this was my church gear. I'm like, so this was this was your first church gear. Yep. Right. And so it's like you're 18, 19 years old at this yeah. point. Yeah, right. it's 103 now. I know, I know, basically. It's been 80 years. Yeah, it's like dog <laughs> dog years in business, right? Is that how it works? So obviously, you know, we had such limited budget, $12 an hour. We were scrapping for gear. Mm-hmm. I got really good at finding good deals on gear during this time. But that was kind of one of those moments where I pivoted. And I, I really just thought to myself, well, I don't want to do production ministry. I don't want to do recording production. Um. And I honestly think there was part of my heart that said, you know what, I'm going to pivot towards worship ministry because at least worship ministry gets some credit. And as sad as that is, like if you're in production ministry, you know that if things go well on a Sunday, the band gets praise. And if things don't go well on Sunday, the production gets blamed. And so as sad a reality as that, I, you know, I saw that, well, maybe I have a future in music. And so I just started, I'd almost say now I went on an entrepreneurial quest yeah. disguised by worship ministry. So, um, so when you were doing the recording studio thing, were you already playing music at that time? Or I was. You, oh, you were. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, you had that kind of musicianship the fall. Yeah. I would say fall forward in. 
essentially. So, okay. But I really, I thought I wanted to be, at one point I wanted to be the, the, the world's greatest mix engineer. Okay. I looked at Bob Clear Mountain. Yeah. I was like, I want to be that. And I wanted to be a record producer. But there's then, still time, Toby. There mm-hmm. is still time. It's not too late for me, Blake. So for the next decade or so, I did a lot of things in worship ministry. I helped plant a church and that was very much a business venture, yeah. so to speak, with a group of people. Um, I started a band. I mm-hmm. started another band. Every single one of these things were <laughs> just like band. small business ventures. Yeah, the first band. band needed a band. Oh, yeah. And in uh, 2004, I stumbled upon this just sort of unknown skill that I had built that I hadn't recognized of how to make a living while pursuing these things in music. So as I had in the studio world, like found really creative ways to buy equipment at a yeah. discounted price. Well, sorry, hold on one second. Yes. So 2004, yes. paint the picture. What did your life look like in 2004 at that time? So in 2004, I was newly married. Um, Shelly and I got married in 03 mm-hmm. and no kids yet. We're still in San Diego and we had planted a church in 03. So we're living in San Diego. I was working for this church plant. Um, and I was also, I had been working for a, a small local sound installation company, like help putting systems in schools and okay. um, churches. And I was, I ironically started another business venture with a partner that it wasn't any sort of crazy tumultuous story that happened, but it fizzled out pretty quickly again. I feel yeah. like this partnership thing is very tricky to work out in the business world. It's was it like Kobe. a smoothie stand or something? Is it like what, a what? What was it like a smoothie stand or something? Exactly. It? Okay. No, it was a, a CD duplication okay. company. So still in, in that same. In 2004? Yeah, it was a little late to the game. Yeah, a little late. Yeah. <laughs> it took Toby a lot of partners, you know, burning in before he found me in the right one. So. Blake, you're fired. <laughs> again. So. Uh, he needed one he could fire. Yeah, you're ba- like I said earlier, like you're basically Lazarus. Like your only person. It. Yeah. Yeah, explain that. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, Lazarus died, rose again. Like you, you were basically fired every day and yet you're still here. Hang on. Between people dying and rising again, I want to be Jesus, not Lazarus. <laughs> well, he's definitely not Jesus. He's definitely not Jesus. I know you too well. It literally says in the Bible that Lazarus stunketh. So, well, okay. so fast forward 2000 years to 2004 after Lazarus. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had you know, taking an affinity to shopping for gear online on eBay. And I found this pair of speakers for sale. There were Mackie 1530s, the big yes. like powered three-way speakers. And they were for sale on eBay, an opening bid of $600. And there were local pickup only in LA. I was living in San Diego. LA is two hours away. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll bid 600 bucks. They're worth twice that. So I put a bid of $600 and I won them. And so... Blake, I was not scared of driving to LA to pick up speakers. You should have been. I know that you would have never done that because that's way too scary. No, look, I've been on the LA streets. It is truly, it's as scary of a street as Toby's feet are right now. <laughs> Less poison <laughs> ivy though. That's true. Depends on the street. I would take the street over Toby's feet. <laughs> yeah, so me too. I drive up to LA, pick up these speakers, bring them back, relist them on eBay for $1,200 with shipping plus shipping and somebody buys them. And I'm like, I just doubled my money and I only had to drive to LA and back to do it. Mm -hmm. So then he bought lottery tickets for $600. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a good, that's why we don't have investors. That's right. So, you know, there was certainly this, you know, thing in my brain that opened up of like, wow, like I just 
made more money than I've ever made on a gig mm-hmm. by buying and selling one pair of speakers. And I thought like, maybe I could do more of this. And I did. I started doing more of it while pursuing music ministry. Yeah. And it was always like, I felt like God was drawing me to worship ministry and being a Christian artist and just writing, recording and, um, you know, performing for the church and leading worship. That was what I felt like God had designed me to do. Yet, as can often happen, it's hard to pay the bills Mm -hmm. in ministry, especially if you're trying to be a Christian artist. So I just, I had this side hustle of buying and selling gear for about a decade while I continued on this journey. And in 2012, I finally got offered my dream job, which was here in Nashville. And it was a local Christian university was doing a school of worship, essentially, that they were launching. And the director of the school, I had met him a few years before. And why he called me up to ask me this, I have no idea. But he called me up. his 27th call, I mean. I'm sure I was. Yeah. Called me up and he said, Toby... Starting this school of worship, this university in Nashville, and I want you to be our artist in residence. I want to move you and your family to Nashville. I'm going to give you a full-time salary, let you hire your own band, and we're going to put you on tour around America to major worship conferences, mega churches, winter jam, yeah. festivals, and we Goodness. want you to write and record and we're going to release records and we want to make you into the next David Crowder band. Yeah. So you're, you're, congratulations, you're now Bono. Yes. Yeah. Your dream. So, you know, he pitched me on this idea and I had to go to Shelly and say, I need you to have an open mind because this is something we had to really look at. I had been interviewing at churches as, you know, just looking for full-time worship pastor positions and just none of them felt right. And when this came up, it kind of felt like, okay, how can we say no to this? Yeah. They had absolutely pitched the dream. So... In 2012, we moved with two little kids to Nashville, didn't know a soul, and I took this job. And I got to tell you, in it wasn't three days before I thought to myself, uh-oh. You guys ever started a new job, and you get in there, and you're like, uh-oh. Yeah, Both May, of you are like, yeah, church gear. May of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it was... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about what we talked about the other night. Shut up. You're both fired. <laughs> That's uh, so funny. Uh, so it was kind of, uh, you know, right away, I was like, this is not going to be what they promised me it was. Yeah. And I, I p- built a band around myself, hired them, and told them, you know, the same promise I was told. And then a couple months later, we're literally like admissions counselors. We're calling prospective students, asking them if they'd like to come to the school. And they booked us literally on zero events. They said, eventually, like, we don't have any events for you. You need to book yourself. And I'm thinking, we're not booking agents. It's not what we do. And so we end up playing chapels at Christian high schools in the South because that's all we could get. Nobody knew who we were. Yeah. And they had expected to have 70 students sign up after the first year to enroll in this program. And they had seven so you can imagine the budget they, they had projected was 70 students enrolled, and now they have to make it work with seven students. And I was the first thing to get cut. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, we don't need a band, so let's get rid of them. So here we were. It was 11 months after moving here, and you know, we can't, we're not going back. We had sold our house where we moved from, and there was just, you know, we were in on Nashville. Mm-hmm. And for... 
you know, after a decade of buying gear as a side hustle, I just, I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go, buy and sell gear full time. And all of a sudden, like it was fulfilling to me. I had, it's like God had finally scratched that itch of wanting to be the Christian artist, the worship pastor, and had freed me from that yeah. and had now given me just this joy to pursue the, the gear selling, buying and selling business. And, uh, like Dave, I don't know if you've experienced this, but for the first time I got to sit my, with my wife in church, whereas I'd Goodness. always been up on stage. And yeah. so there was just this freedom that every Sunday I could sit with my wife and I could just be in the worship service and I could mm -hmm. serve at church without being on staff. Yeah. Yes. It's, I'll, I'll say for me specifically, because I've been out of doing the full-time production thing in church ministry for about a year now. And I'm going, it is, for me, double-edged sword, right? Because you go, this, it, like, it's it's amazing to sit in church with your family. And at the same time, you miss, like, serving in your craft, in your role that you used to do before. So, like, for you, when you made that transition, was, was there any of that pull going, like, it's hard to go to church because I just want to be on stage doing what that person's doing or you just, or is it just a race from your memory at that point? Are you going like, I am satisfied to be doing what I'm doing right now? There was kind of a peaks and valleys of those moments leading up to that. There were times as I was looking for a job where I felt, you know, I was still called to worship ministry and pursuing that, that I'd be at church and I'd feel just this angst within me because I wanted to be on stage and be a part of that. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that's a lot of my story leading up to that moment, but I just feel like once that job ended and it was June of 2013, that within two weeks I was completely released from that, that hold awesome. on me that had yeah. been a hold on me for decades. Yeah. So it was very much that, that God moment. And so for the next six years, I just bought and sold gear. It's a full-time thing, and I just did it myself. Mm -hmm. um, I started in Nashville. There's a lot of gear in Nashville. Yeah. It worked well. And then I thought, well, I'll go down to Atlanta, and I'll do some there. And I would you know, find good deals on Craigslist in Atlanta and go down and pick up the gear. And then I'd go to Indianapolis and Cincinnati. And the nice thing about Nashville, it's very centrally located to yeah. a lot of the U.S. And then I still had family in Dallas area, so I started just finding good deals out there. And I actually, in 2017, I think, connected with Charlie Howery, who is still with us at Church Gear, yep. one of the great human beings on the planet. And he was introduced to me by a friend. And so Charlie started buying gear for me in Dallas and would store it in a storage unit. And I'd go out every few months, load up a trailer, bring it back. So it was going great. And it was paying all the bills. I could... I worked from home, got to spend time with my family yeah. and really just had no other aspirations than to just continue to do that thing. But if you guys, you guys have worked with me for a while and know that I can't stop the ideas from coming to me. Totally. It's a sickness, much well, like his foot fit, uh, disease. <laughs> well, one thing I want to say too, though, because I remember when I came here uh, a little over a year ago to visit, right? And I go over to your place and I see your home like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, church gear is doing really well. And you're like, yeah, well, I mean, I bought this, you know, eight years ago mm -hmm. before church gear existed. Oh, yes. And so 2017, you're flipping gear and you're doing well, mm -hmm. right? And this is before you get that, I don't know what it is, calling, passion, vision, whatever you want to, whatever church word you want to use for 
um, I want to take this business model and this idea and serve the local church with mm-hmm. it. So, okay, that's 2017, right? Well, let's fast forward 2019 okay. is when, and for years, like, again, I'm just an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. I'm an artist. And so I need to create things. And so there were a lot of just, you know, ideas that would get thrown through the fire and then just passed out. Um, so my wife and I really considered seriously starting a wedding venue barn in Franklin for a while. Um, that was a very serious one. Uh, there was, gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Um, oh, I wanted to record. I wanted to start another recording studio. Yeah. You'd think I would have learned my lesson the first time, but. <laughs> Were you afraid of starting the, the wedding venue with your wife because all your partners left you? And so if you started that one with Shelly, then. <laughs> I actually trusted Shelly. There we go. <laughs> So uh, in 2019, and there was always kind of this, I, I didn't think about it seriously, but I always knew, well, I could do this more buying and selling gear specifically targeted for churches. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, oh, that's so easy. It's not even something I need to consider. I, I could just do that. You hear that, Dave? Church gear is easy. <laughs> and so sure. in 2019, I, I, I just felt honestly like God was tapping my shoulder that I really had to start considering this thing. And guys, I got to tell you, I had no intention of starting a company. I didn't know that that's what, where we'd be four years later now. I just thought like, I have this idea and I want to see it out and, and let's do it. And I had fallen in love with business books over the last couple of years before that. And I mean, it's, it's business books and mentors that have mm-hmm. built my little bit of business knowledge that I have. Jim Collins and Pat Lanchoni are the yep. reason you guys have jobs here at Church Gear. Because I... Praise be. Praise yeah, them both. I take advice from wise people and then apply it to situations. And that seems to work pretty well rather than trying to figure it out myself. Yeah. So there's one, and Blake, I know you've read the one, this one. It's How to Create or Creating a Story Brand by Donald oh, Miller. So good. Yes. And that one just kind of clicked with me as far as like just a simple approach to marketing. And I thought, well, great, I'm going to come up with this idea and I'm going to use StoryBrand to help create the brand. And uh, I went on to StoryBrand's website at the time because I thought maybe they have, you know, certified agencies that they partner with or whatever. And so I found that they have things called StoryBrand guides that are certified with StoryBrand. And so I put in my information, put in my zip code, and it spits back like five people in the area, one of which was the communications director at my church, Aaron Blanton. Aaron Blanton, uh, if some of our listeners might've known him, he used to be the lead singer of By the Tree and he was a worship pastor out in California and then came to Fellowship Church in Nashville. Good friend of mine. And so I text him and I said, dude, I just found your name on StoryBrand. And he said, oh my gosh, I entered my information like two days ago. You're the first person to have called me and what are the chances? Wild. So I, I love to say this all, all the time because I believe it. Like God loves church gear. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with any one of us. But God said, hey, I want this idea to work for my people, for my church. And so there's just all these moments throughout, you know, the three or four years of church gear history where I'm like, oh my gosh, God loves church gear. It's just mm-hmm. fascinating how he moves these things. So it wasn't called church gear at first. Don't say it. I had, I remember my kids were swimming next door and Shelly and I were sitting there and I was just like spitting out name ideas. Yeah. I remember a uh, gear chapel was an idea. It felt a little chapel too, equipment. It a little too traditional maybe. Um, 
was trying to think of some of the other ones and I thought of church gear and I thought that was great. Um, but I, I always, I use GoDaddy and I see what URLs are available because yeah. that's kind of your first sign. And I looked churchgear.com and it was for sale, but it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I'm not going to just spend a whole bunch of money on an unproven idea. And so I landed on the name Gear Church, which Blake, it's nails on the chalkboard for you, Blake, uh, as our brand, brand director. I'm the brand guy. We got to stay up to date. That is like a past <laughs> lover. You burn it and bury it. Well, I don't actually you shouldn't burn and bury your past lovers, but still, you know what I mean? The memory of. Hey, Blake, if I promise that it will never see the light of day, can I please have a Gear Church mug? I know they exist. Not I on know your they freaking exist. life. I will pay money. Toby I got can, a bunch of my basement. So. What? <laughs> okay. We're breaking into Toby's house tonight. He's oh, be, I know his code for his garage. That's true. Let's get in the hot tub, dude. <laughs> if we're okay. breaking in, can we get in the... See, actually, keep, his feet have been see, in the hot tub. I, I'm worried because you keep asking me to get in this hot tub, and I'm wondering, like, dude, what the heck? But, like, if it's going to lead to a gear church mug, I'm in. Let's oh. go. I know. Decisions, decisions, Blake. I know. So I began building the brand, the story script with, uh, with Aaron Blanton, and we developed the website. And during this time, before we even launch... Uh, Chris Rowell, who is now our uh, shipping and fulfillment manager, he was working just a few hours a week helping pack and ship boxes in my basement. Um, and Blake, you work in my basement too. We'll get to that in a couple mm, minutes. Lots of time in the basement. It led to many a doctor appointment. It did. Yeah. Those this are fun isn't going to lead to a documentary series, is it? <laughs> oh, Dave. The well, tell-all is coming in Where are we going to be on Netflix? Yep. <laughs> so Chris was part of the worship department at Brentwood Baptist, where he was yeah. going to church. And he said, hey, Brentwood is going to have a, an audio video gear sale, like a garage sale, this coming Saturday. Just heard about it, thought you might be interested. So I said, heck yeah, I'm interested. Let's see if this idea works. Yeah. So he's, I think I got word it was going to start at 9 a.m. So I show up at 8.45 and they had put all the gear out in the hallway. And I basically, I walk in, I say, okay, it's everything's for sale. And he said, yes. And I said, well, I'd love to buy a whole lot of it. And he said, okay, take these post-it, like he gave me a pad of post-it notes. And he said, just put a post-it note on everything that you want to buy. And so I just start sticking post-it notes on almost everything. Yeah. And by the time the next person comes in, who is Wes Wakefield, if you guys know <laughs> Wes, he's one of our yeah. contract repair techs. Yeah. He was like, what are all these post-it notes on everything? Yeah. The guy said, oh, those are all stuff that Toby's going to buy. And he's like, dang it, I'm too late. <laughs> So I buy 90% of the gear yeah. and I didn't have like, I didn't know exactly what to pay for it. I just kind of, he said, well, what do you want to offer? And I made him an offer. And I swear to you, before the full sentence was out of my mouth, he shoots out his hand to shake mine and says, sold to him. It was so easy that he could sell almost everything in one shot and I'd pay him cash and take it away. It was like a dream come true for him in this moment. Yeah. So even before the website launched, I was like, okay, this thing can work. And so there were some, you know, stipulations as I was starting this idea. I didn't want to go into debt. I didn't want to take out a, a small business loan. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I was already buying and selling gear and I was doing fine doing it. So I didn't want to pivot into something that I was now going to go into debt over. But I also, I you know, I weighed the pros and cons and just got to the point. I was like, I'm not going to start this thing if I can't pay the churches up front. It's not yeah. going to be a consignment deal. I'm not going to, you know, take the gear on and say, I can pay you in 90 days or whatever, because I knew that I wanted to start something that's really going to serve churches. And if they have any sense or feeling of like, is this fishy? Is something going on here? They're, 
you know, they're going to look for another option. Yeah. So that was kind of, you know, step one is figure out how to pay the churches up front. And so I knew it's going to have to start small because I don't have millions of dollars just sitting in a bank account that I can bankroll this company doing it. And again, yeah, I didn't know I was starting a company. So March of 2020, we launched the it's website. It's a great time to start a business. March I, of 2020. You know, there was, I, I think, a global event happening, but I... The global event was church gear was on the scene. That's right. So, yeah. Well, hold on a second. March of 2020, are we church gear now? Or is it no, still gear church? Yet. Yeah, we're not it's yet still church gear, gear church. Yeah, yes. Yeah. The, right. the name of which we do not speak, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yes. So... Uh, we should have Ross bleep it. Launch and... Um, <laughs> It was, you know, pretty slow and steady for the for six months. Nobody knew about the idea. And so I would go on church websites to find the tech director and just send them kind of a, you know, an intro form letter to say, hey, this is who I am, what I'm doing. This is the idea. And, um, you know, I started to get a trickle of interest. And as COVID hit, it was kind of this unique time, obviously, in the world. But it was almost there was no better occasion to start this thing than when COVID hit and I'm trying to work with churches in the South. So Christian churches in the South were kind of like COVID schmovid, you know, they might've shut down. <laughs> Half for, the congregation will die, but who cares? Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, I'm in California yeah. and it is a ghost town. Yeah. It is like, all everyone the, died. Oh, I, <laughs> everyone's home. You I mean, everyone, you would have thought like literally uh, the streets of San Francisco ghost town. Mm. It was a trip. Anyway. Yeah. So, for just a few weeks, even a month, churches were shut down and tech directors were kind of like, I have nothing to do because we're mm-hmm. just in a holding pattern. So a few of them, th- you know, kind of said, well, great timing. Like, I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to go through the closet and find all this old gear and make a list for you. And so, you know, I started buying some gear from s- some churches. And then as things started to pivot for churches and now every church had to start suddenly live streaming. Mm-hmm. Anytime I get anything video related or live stream related, it would just be gone. Like yeah. it'd be sold the same day. And then the supply cr- chain crashed. So where churches couldn't get new gear anymore, mm-hmm. everything church gear has is in stock. If it's listed for sale, it's in stock because we're not getting from manufacturers. Yeah. Let's not even get in the topic of Dante cards. Yeah. So it was, you know, slow and steady. And um, then you fast forward to the fall of 2020 and it was, it was just one of those like moments in a horror movie where everything goes wrong and you, but you have to live with it. What happened in fall of 2020, Blake? Horr- horrifying things. And so he brought in a heavy hitter to fix it. Blake <laughs> Hodges. <laughs> I said technically was working five hours a month in May. So I can trace my church gear time all the way to two months into going, but full time in September. September 27th, 2020. I don't know yep. if you saw the look on my face, but I looked at Blake and I'm like, oh, what happened? I haven't yeah. heard this yet. <laughs> Toby did the best, second best decision of his life. Hired me. What was and my then, first best, Blake? Very chilly. I was going to say yeah. you accepted Jesus into your heart as your as Lord well, and Savior. if you're a Calvinist, you don't really believe that you had anything to do with that. <laughs> so, Blake, you come aboard and very quickly, like, I mean, you left your professional corporatist job at a marketing I, agency. I left in the middle of a pandemic a stable job that had contracts with clients to go work in Toby's basement. My wife is like, <laughs> as a nurse in COVID, just like, you're doing what? And I'm like, don't worry. <laughs> Toby said it'll be fine. That's right. 
<laughs> Everything exists at church gear because I say it'll be fine. Okay. Well, okay. So here's what I know about the story a little bit. Like Blake wasn't just a new person. Like you already had a relationship with Blake. Yeah. I was in other. Toby's small group for two years. Yeah. So he can't claim that he didn't know what he was getting yeah, into. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a cool story to go like, I, you know, I'm, I'm just walking down the road in Franklin, Tennessee and Jesus met with me. And next thing I know, I'm just like working out of his basement. You know, it's like, it wasn't like that kind of a thing. It was like no. relationship over time built up. And that's true of every single person at church care. Yeah. Like everybody works here through a relationship of either I knew them directly or somebody I know and trusted recommended them. Mm -hmm. um, we've never put a job posting on indeed or anything like that. Like we, we hire through relationships. And so yeah. Which, you know, if you look at Blake Hodges and you think like Toby hired Blake through a relationship, like he knew Blake ahead of time. So, yes, that was one of those where I was like, it'll be fine. Here's the thing. I think I've never said this to you. I think Toby looked and saw in me someone who believed in his idea. Like mm -hmm. Toby said his idea to me and I was like, that's freaking brilliant. And I went home and I wrote up like 20 different marketing ideas and I printed them all out in a booklet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you should do these things. And he was like. I don't want to, but what if I hired you to do them? And I was like, <laughs> well, I wasn't thinking about that. All right, let's do it. Like, yeah. I really was like, this is a great idea. Well, even today, I don't know that there is anyone out there that is a bigger fan of church gear than you. Freaking love it. Yeah. Keep it safe. Heck it's my yeah. little baby to protect. And like the church recording studio in the basement, you were only $12 an hour, which is great. I was going to say, unlike <laughs> the basement, Toby was like, this guy won't uh, stab me in the back and run away with everything. I well, won't. I will run away with your church gear mug or your your other mugs, but you keep saying that you're going to win the lottery and buy all of church gear or half of half church gear? of church gear. Okay. I want to I want to be official partner. It'd be great. Yeah. So assuming that never happens, we'll continue on the story. God help us. <laughs> and so very quickly, Blake, it's you, me, and Chris in the basement, and we realize like we got to hire somebody that actually knows something about gear because big light, little light <laughs> is not specific enough as a model. That's so, what I was putting in air. Yeah, table. we get. Uh, <laughs> It was a big light and a little light. I didn't see a model on there, man. I think that's... <laughs> we get some Source 4 Lecos and some Source 4 Pars, and Blake literally puts them into a database as big light and little light. There was no model on there. <laughs> Bump this. I got to hire someone that knows gear. And I was What's the problem? I'm laughing harder than the time I heard that you didn't know who uh, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones was. This is good. Big yeah. light, little light. Yep. So that is the extent of Blake's tech knowledge. So you could see very quickly, we desperately needed somebody who knew something about gear. So another one of those moments where God loves church gear. An old, old friend of mine that I went to high school with just messaged me out of the blue um, on social media. And I hadn't talked to him in 15 years and says, hey, you know, what are you doing? I've, I heard you're in Nashville. What's what's going on? And I so I told him just really quick, like, yeah, I started this this little business that's kind of gotten up and going. And I just sort of made a joke and said, you need to move here and be my warehouse manager because he is a production guy. Like he knows yeah. gear. He knows a lot about gear. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of said, are, are you serious? Because I'm trying to move my family to Nashville and I've been looking for a job. And it was kind of one of those moments of like, God. Dude. And so he and his family came out and uh, he interviewed and like it was, you know, obvious pretty quick that like, yeah, let's do this. So he and his family moved here early 2021. He became the voice of the podcast. He's the yep. intro outro guy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Brian Siggy. And Siggy. Um, so he lands here. February 1, essentially late January, February 1 of 
2021. 21, yeah. And so now it's Blake, me, Chris, and Brian in my basement trying to work around all this gear. And I mean, there's gear everywhere and we could barely get past each other as we're trying to do this thing. And my wife, as gracious, gracious and caring as she is, kind of looks at me and says, you need to get out. It wasn't just Shelly that hated the space. Brian Saganaro and I are in the van going up to Chicago on a gear run immediately yeah. after he's been hired. And Brian said that he had tripped over something on Friday and had told Toby, I quit until you buy a new place. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, Brian, you can't quit. You just got here, bro. So it kind of became a, it wasn't as mad a scramble as it sounds, but we needed to find a place to move out into that had more space for us. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I worked with a realtor and looked at a few spots and actually ended up buying a, Dave, you've joked about being a farmer. Like I kind of bought a farm, so to speak. You did. And it was this pole barn on four acres in Franklin, about 10 minutes from our house. And we bought it and thought like, this is great. This is all the space we'll ever need. It's about 3,000 <laughs> square feet. Yep. Had warehouse space plus a little office and plus bathroom. A view. Yeah, beautiful. Bunch view. of stink bugs, <laughs> leaking floors. Don't worry about that. So well, it didn't work. I mean, we move in there and it's it's rudimentary, mm-hmm. but you had I, to poop at the Publix next door. <laughs> only at first, only at first. Then we fixed the septic. Yeah. Then you could poop at the warehouse. Mm-hmm. So I do remember touring that space with with Siggy and both of us being like, this is perfect. This is all the space we'll ever need. Because I I still didn't imagine that this thing was going to get that big. Yeah. I just didn't think it was that big an idea. I didn't either. I thought it was going to be like five of us, you know, boys just doing it. So 2021 was a, definitely a growth year for us. Not that every year isn't. But um, Blake, I remember some of those moments like doing that gear run to Chicago to Caleb Lepke's church almost dying on the train platform in Chicago as we <laughs> were left stranded in the middle of a February night. Well, and that run did Caleb Lepke's church and we bought, was it like 30K worth of gear at one time? Like almost 40K. That was a, my Brentwood moment where I was like, this is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. It was an entire 26-foot truck that we filled up with um, Christ Community's Meyer rig Yeah, that they had replaced with a L Acoustics rig. And mm-hmm. Caleb was like he thought we were his saviors almost that he and his production team had literally moved that Meyer rig three different times within the church because they didn't know what to do with it. Mm. They kept putting it in a room and then the executive pastor says, Hey, we need this space for something else. You got to move that stuff until it was finally in shipping containers in the parking lot. And so when we went up there to get it, when he had, he heard about us through Monte Kelso slingshot group. And he was like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, that was your Brentwood moment, Blake. And I remember staff meetings in the barn, just those hilarious moments. And so that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was Chicago. So like yes. we had a lot of near death experiences in Chicago, but that's, that's Chicago's story. just trying to kill Blake. That's I think, what I, I think. So that's the common thread is Blake almost dies every time we go to Chicago. So I'm not going anymore <laughs> except for Philo because I love Philo. <laughs> so we're, you know, this thing is growing faster than we knew it was. And it was kind of like, well, let's figure out some business tactics to apply to this thing Mm -hmm. to try and professionalize it. Um, And we just, you know, hiring, growing, hiring, growing. Then in fall of 2021, I, I think it was actually August 21, I sent a Facebook message to Lee Fields 
and just introduce myself. I had heard of MXU. I'd heard a lot of our production people talking about MXU, that they love the platform. They listen to the podcast. I didn't know much about it, but I was always looking for just connections in the church production space to build those relationships with. So sent him a message and just introducing the concept who we were. And he said, oh, that's awesome. I'd love to meet you and just chat more about it. And I'm just like over the moon because I had looked at their site and was like, it would be so cool if we could be friends with these guys. So it was, I think, October 21, and they were on the MXU tour, and they did a tour stop in Franklin yeah. at IPS. And so Blake and I met with Spencer and Lee at IPS, and that was our you know, first moment. And we also, we heard your name, Dave, for the first time well, in that meeting. You know what's really funny about that meeting? So I, I, was, I went to, I was at Bayside in California, uh, Sacramento area, and I took a bunch of volunteers and some staff to the Orange County uh, MXU, tour, uh, MXU stop. tour stop. And I had bought tickets to go to the Franklin one too, mm-hmm. but it ended up, ended up not making it happen. So I actually was supposed to be there at, it was at black box right across the street, right? Uh, IPS. Yes. IPS. Yeah. So they're black box, like, okay. re- uh, rehearsal space. Got it. Yeah. Got. Yeah. Yeah. So Blake and I, we met Spencer and Lee and we had actually mentioned we needed, it wasn't enough that we just had one guy that knew something about gear. We also needed other guys that knew something about gear. And so they mentioned some of their friends and your name was mentioned in that as far as like, Oh, you guys should meet Dave. Like he might be someone you want to talk to. Um, and you're a much later story, Dave, but sure. Um, yeah, we kind of, I think for Lee, it just, the idea of what we're doing just clicked with him immediately. And he Mm -hmm. said this on their podcast before that the fact that we're paying churches up front, like Mm -hmm. they give us a list of gear We make an offer and they can see it and say yay or nay. There's no pressure. There's no like hoping they get paid if they sell us their gear. It's like we can't screw churches. Totally. You know, if if we're offering you X amount of money up front and it's completely up to you whether you want to say yes or no, Mm -hmm. then, you know, there's no way that we can take advantage of churches. 100%. So he kind of said like, hey, let's talk more. And I ended up flying up to Sacramento right around, um, I think it was right at the beginning of 2022. And we just sort of like made a, you know, brand relationship agreement that they could start promoting us on their platform. And that was definitely a, a, you know, a huge moment for us to kind of get our name out there to a lot of churches that didn't know who we were yet. Yeah. As the kids would say to the moon, (laughs) to the moon or to elevation church. So that was the first place we ended up going um, that was like the biggest stop in January of 22. Still holds the record, I think. It No, it doesn't. <gasps> I think, I mean, Saddleback did take the record again, but then Faith Church in LA. Faith Church, yeah. They have the, the current record. Are we good to say that? Is that weird? I don't think so. Um, what's oh. the record right now? I won't say numbers, but. Oh, okay. That's what I was wondering. All right. So, and then I think it was like, a day after Lee mentioned us for the first time in the MXU podcast, Adam Taylor at central church calls him up and says, Hey, do you know these guys? Are they legit? Lee's like, yeah, they're, they're a real thing. And they, you know, they're doing good stuff for churches. And so then I got Lee connected me with Adam and we ended up going to central church and truckload of gear. And it was just, you know, big church after big church started to realize what we're doing. And we're just getting truckloads of gear yeah. from all over the country coming back to this 3000 square foot barn. We're just shoving it into the <laughs> yep. barn. Just shove it in. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. 
So there was kind of this uh, moment, unexpected moment. Obviously, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but you never see these moments quite coming until they're all of a sudden here and you realize it. We had gone from this awesome, like one for all, all for one kind of band of brothers mm -hmm. and Sarah, because Sarah, Sarah worked for us at yeah. that point into, you know, we've got a dozen people now and we are an organization. We are a business. We are a company and we got to start acting like it. And so March 1st, Blake, you remember this day, terrible Tuesday. I think we call it transformational Tuesday, but it That's was our corporate darn speak terrible <laughs> <laughs> where we had an all day offsite company meeting. And I was so excited. I love our offsite meetings because it's so much about like vision and ideation, mm -hmm. which is where I live. And so I come in with all these ideas of team building exercises and vision casting and the afternoon just devolves into anger and frustration and all these feelings coming out of people saying like, well, who's in charge of what? Like what, like we need an org chart. We need to know who reports to who and what are our roles and responsibilities. And I not having the wisdom to not try and fix things immediately, just started building an org chart right there on the spot and making everybody mad as I did it because I could see it in my head like, Oh, logically. Okay. You report to you. And, and they're just, everybody's sitting there thinking like, Oh, you're, you're moving us around like chips on a poker table. We're, we're real human beings and we have souls. And so that was, that was a hard moment for me to. Apparently everyone claimed it was a lot of conflict, but I'm an eight. So I was like, yeah, this is great. We're actually really talking. <laughs> I, that's legitimately what I thought. I was like, we're a real company now. We're going to talk. Yep. Apparently everyone was pissed. <laughs> so that was kind of one of those moments where you, you look back and you're like, ouch, that really hurt, but it was absolutely critical to yeah. get us to where we are today to create a healthy culture. Um, a couple of people ended up shaking out from the company, um, yeah. you know, in that time that it needed to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I, for the first couple of years just had this, no one was fired. They left. Yeah. And just this grand vision of, you know, I want to hire great people and I want them to be here forever. Yeah. And Blake was he wants me to that. be here forever. He does. <laughs> He just doesn't want you to own any of the company. <laughs> That's okay. I, just, I own it in my mind. Yes. And honestly, a, a healthy culture is built around people that come and go. Like turnover is a thing regardless. Yeah. You know, whether people should leave or shouldn't. Um, you know, you have people that just life circumstances change. They get married. Their spouse gets a job in another city or they have another mm -hmm. opportunity. They're called to different things. And it would be an unhealthy culture for me to hold on to that as you know, a, an idol that I couldn't allow people to come and go into the company. So that was really a, a season to, to see that there can be some healthy change in an organization. Mm. I mean, our turnover has been less than 10% at church gear, which is insane. Remarkable. Yeah. Completely remarkable. Mm. Um, but as we, you know, we kind of made those transitions and we, we all kind of took a deep breath and just tried to settle into, okay, this thing is growing like crazy, um, and we all were in this together and we know we're working towards a healthier organization, but it's going to take some time. And if, if any of our listeners and a few of you have visited our barn, or if you've seen the tour on <laughs> church fronts, church front, yeah, church yeah. front on YouTube, you know, that the barn, if you have truckloads of gear coming from across the nation, like almost every week at this point, 
and we have a 3000 square foot barn and like a dozen employees, where the heck are, are we working? Yeah. You know, people are tripping over each other. Gear is everywhere at this point. Everywhere. So, so we're in March right now. Is that what we're talking about? Uh, you know, March <clears throat> to the summer of 2022. Yeah. So I came and visited mm-hmm. in March of 22. Yes. And I remember um, checking the barn out and it was maxed, totally maxed. Yeah. I'm going, man, uh, I look around like, oh, they haven't used every piece of space. And then I went <laughs> to use the bathroom and in the bathroom. Now it was, it wasn't just like haphazardly thrown in there, but there were multiple like M7 CLs mm-hmm. up against the wall. So as you're using, you know, the bathroom in the corner of a sterile part of the bathroom, but still it's like you, you had to use every little inch of space you had to get stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the bathroom was the funniest thing that there's, mm-hmm. there was Blake, there was a box filled with little lights in the shower. <laughs> little light shower, man. Yeah. So yep. we, we had a giant box filled with ETC, uh, source four pars, Yep. just sitting in the shower. And then there was like, we eventually got a storage unit out in the, in the lawn. That'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. We were putting gear up in the rafters, That'll and fix it. the the back patio. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a scrapper. That's why yeah. church gear exists. Cause I see value in, you know, uh, underpriced or used things. And so I didn't want to, you know, move to some crazy big location. I thought like we can maximize this space and we can make it work. And I thought that for about six months too long, but I finally got to the space where, or to the point where I knew our space was just, we were way beyond it and we were just continuing to grow like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so we started a search for a third location now, Yeah, <laughs> not even three years old and worked with a realtor in Franklin and looked at a couple spots. Um, so we looked at one spot. It was a hundred thousand square foot warehouse. Now we weren't going to get a hundred thousand feet square feet, but the landlord was going to divide this up into units using storage containers. He was going to put two mm. storage containers as walls to create divisions in this gigantic warehouse. Yeah. And so I said, well, what about the noise traveling like between tenants and he said yeah you kind of have to keep it to a minimum i'm like we're testing production gear mm-hmm. <laughs> like we've got these speakers sound like the ocean throwing up yeah when <laughs> when our team gets speakers in and they're running white noise through these subs like the whole yeah the whole suite is shaking yep every time yeah so you know we kind of looked at that and well it's enough space that it could work but it wasn't ideal by any means. And one Saturday I was driving around the cool Springs area of Franklin Mm -hmm. and saw this sign for, um, retail space for rent. And so I just drove up to the building and I looked at the suite that was for rent and I was like, that's interesting. And I kind of peered in the doors and saw like, there's a pretty sizable warehouse in this suite. And then I looked up the listing online and noticed, well, I've seen this listing before. It just says the warehouse was only 1,700 square feet, which I knew was not nearly big enough for us. Yeah. But looking in the door, I was like, that warehouse is way bigger than that. So I called up the listing agent and he said, oh yeah, I think that listing's actually wrong. That warehouse is more like four or 5,000 square feet plus yeah. the office space. You know, Much the like the Brentwood is, guy, Toby stuck his hand out real fast yeah, and said, sold. sold. Yep. So it was another one of those moments really where I feel like God loves church gear because that listing had been up for a while, but it was completely missized mm-hmm. on the listing. So 
we got into view the space where nobody else knew how much warehouse space was in here. Yeah. And so, I mean, I remember just walking through here and me and Frank and a couple of us just looking at it like, oh my gosh, this is the dream. Mm -hmm. So we signed the lease and we moved, we got the keys last July, July, 2022. Yep. So we've been in here a, a year now. Wow. And, and it solved everything. <laughs> it solved everything for like three months. <laughs> and we, you know, again, as we're building a real company, like we got pallet racks, 16 foot high pallet racks. So we're, we're 20 feet up in the air, yeah. which required a forklift. And required, required safety regulations. Yep. Yep. Like we have bumper rails on the floors and, mm -hmm. you know, safety tape and i'm apparently i'm not allowed in the warehouse anymore in my flip-flops but <laughs> although, i'm like i own the company although toby's really good at the forklift honestly that's true even in flip-flops i can manhandle that forklift and i i mean i don't remember the last month we didn't hire one to two people what are we at now officially if you count full-time i mean i think we're 18 to 20 full-timers and then about 30 total with contractors yeah, yeah. and part-time and I mean, we're a 30-person organization serving churches coast to coast every single week. And there's like, there's no end in sight. I would hope not. I'm yeah. still only 30, Toby. Was, I need this to go another 15 years. Wasn't it just March, this last March, where that in that entire month, we had been to 27 different states? Yes. That was March. Yes. Yeah. Our, our trucks touched 27 different states churches in 27 different states yeah like that was more than half of america that we went to in one month blew my mind when i heard that yeah yeah and it's it's funny because we're still like people think oh man church gear is everywhere and you have 30 people and they look at it as an overnight success story like that's never the case well the first 30 minutes of this episode proved it took your whole life to become an overnight success yeah and we're still trying to figure out okay, how does a business run? You know, it's, I really feel like our most important thing we built is a culture that we all, like I, as best as I can, try and hire people that I trust will do good things for the church here. Mm -hmm. And every one of us has been on a church staff or involved in production ministry or deeply connected to our local church. And we all deeply care about the mission of serving and meeting unmet needs in church production. But also we're trying to like next step up for us is find a finance director because I mean, there's owning a business is very different than just buying and selling gear from my basement. And we haven't paid taxes in three years. So we really <laughs> need to start, need to start doing that. that that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. That is a hundred percent not true. That's a joke. Yeah. IRS. <laughs> It's not though. Don't tell Uncle Sam. It's a joke. No, yes, we pay our taxes, but it is unbelievably complicated it, to pay taxes when you have 30 people on a payroll. Yeah, it's just complicated and dumb. And, you know, it's it's a service to the church, but I I love how many production directors just come with like really an open mind and they'll submit gear. And a lot of them will just say, this is amazing. Please come get it. It's more that you are freeing up our space. You're giving us our space back. And at the same time, we're putting tens of thousands of dollars back into our budget. And we tell churches all the time, like I literally told this to a church yesterday, hey, if you have the time or energy to sell your gear yourself, you're going to get more for it, obviously. Like we have a payroll to keep and lease payments on our warehouse space and trucks across the nation. Like it's expensive 
for us to do the service for the church, but we do it because we love working with these churches and we love gear. Like it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been quite a wild ride. And looking back, you know, three years ago, basically the, the website launched and I had yeah. no idea this is going to look like this. In the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of, well, or the start the, of one. The start of a pandemic. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, we kind of come almost to present time. So I guess, you know, maybe in another year we start like writing all these down, maybe like the 10 craziest things that happened in 20. Well, we have the company newsletter coming out every month well, now. So that is internal. Some, that is an internal newsletter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Dave, uh, let's, let's wrap us on a tech takeaway. Does anybody have one they want to lob out there? You know, well, keeping... I also thought it'd be fun for each of us to predict what church gear is going to look like in another three years. Ooh. Ooh. We always joke that like a week at church gear is like a month and a half. So I thought yeah. it was a year. Some, I mean, what is it that Depends God says in Genesis? Like a day is a thousand years, a thousand years. That's is a in the day. Psalms, but there we go. I enough. said God said. I didn't say Genesis. <laughs> Actually, David wrote it. But all right, uh, I'm gonna guess there, three years from now we are at 42 employees, one of which is finally a video editor for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we have knifed the people next door and took their warehouse. Um, can we do it like a little ni- more peacefully? We can give them anesthetic and then knife them. Um, <laughs> so we've, we've taken their warehouse. We've, we're at 42 employees um, and we're about to hire HR and trying to figure out how to do it, but we don't want to. Yeah, I'm kind of the running joke around here is we can't have HR because we're such knuckleheads. So we will get fired and I need Toby to be employed here. Yeah, Blake, you'll be the first one to get fired. I'll be the second I one. I will not. <laughs> Got the dirt. All right. That, that was my guess, Dave. You? Yeah, no, this is good. I think, see, we're not talking about numbers, so I can't say numbers, but I will say. Will we be profitable finally? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I three years from now, I, I think we have um, everything that Blake just said. Oh, copy paste answer. Well, I mean, it's true. That's what I that's what I think. And I think we have um I think we have some sort of church gear employee slash ambassador in every region of the U.S. Hmm. in three years. Yeah, that's something I would definitely love is boots on the ground throughout the U.S. Because, I mean, we talk to churches all day, every day. But to have people in specific regions around the U.S. that they can go be in person and serve our church techs Mm -hmm. day in and day out would be amazing. Um, Yeah, Toby, do you have a guess? I mean, what you guys said is very much, you know, on par, just Mm -hmm. thinking of the general growth. But as we, we worked on our mission statement for a good solid year, and we finally landed on something that we felt just really encapsulated what we were trying to accomplish, meeting unmet needs in church production, Mm -hmm. because church techs deserve an advocate. And so in three years, I want to see us meeting more unmet unmet needs. Like we've definitely hit on this unmet need of there's all this used gear, but where else are production people just, you know, banging their heads against a wall because some, they need a solution for another Mm -hmm. thing. And so what are some other solutions that nobody is serving them in that we can then add in three more years? It's really where I want to see us grow is just more solutions for them. Mm. Well, I think that's going to wrap us here for this company history, the dirty deets of church gear episode. And I have one more prediction in three years that you finally actually got fired, but you still rose from the dead. 
gracious, Dave, that's ominous. I better I better go start that pharmaceutical company that cures poison ivy. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say, like, so I've been here for <laughs> what? No, just keep going. Oh no, I don't know what they're, they're doing. Hand gestures right now, That's guys, the and that signal. means something. Every guest we've never explained it to knows what that Fine. means. I hold up my hand to them, which yeah. is my way of saying stop talking, which yeah. is really rude. And we end all of our episodes <laughs> with me and Toby just being dumb at the end. Um, I guess we don't cut this. Whatever, it's inside That's baseball. Fine. No, keep it, keep it, keep it. I well, think this what is were good. you going to say? Well, I mean, I've been on this thing I think three or four times now, and I still just like I don't know what those hand signals mean. Oh, that's clear. <laughs> Great. Um, but I would just say like I've been here for a year now, just about, and every time I get a chance to hear this story of Toby talking about church gear over the last you know twenty odd years, I always hear something new that I didn't know before. And at the end of it, I'm always left going, man, I just love what this company does for churches and how it serves people. And uh, they're doing tech ministry all over the country. And so anyway, it's a little bit um, maybe cheesy, but I just it I, I fall more in love with what Church Gear does every time I hear the story. So I love this. And Church Gear falls more in love with you every time. Yes. Oh. We love you, Dave. <laughs> Grr. Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope to see you back next week for more absurd stories, tech takeaways, and overall buffoonery here at the Church Gear Studios. Blake, I'm a huge fan of the podcast, How I Built This with Guy Raz. We got to get you on. I know. So hopefully my prediction in three years from now is that I'm talking about Church Gear on How I Built This along with like, you know, the founders of... Who's gonna birds who's gonna book you guys. on that though if you fire me? You know, you need me to book <laughs> That's you a good on point. this. That's my leverage to stay. And what would also help me to stay is if uh, you know, people shared this episode. Although maybe this is a little too meta to send to someone for the first time. So we should plug something else, Toby. What should we plug? Well, they could send it to any of their friends that are thinking about starting an entrepreneurial venture. There we go. And what what it can turn into. Or if you know the people of how I started this. How I built this. Oops. Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church gear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works.